Hallo zusammen, ich begrüße euch zu einer weiteren Folge von Swisspreneur. Wir sind wieder in San Francisco und heute beim Danny Graf. Der Danny Graf der hat ein Start-up aufgebaut namens Kite und hat es später verkaufen. Er ist dann weitergezogen zu Google. Dort war er für Google Maps bei der Mobile App zuständig, ist nachher zu Twitter und am Schluss bei Uber gelandet. Ich werde heute mit Dani über die verschiedenen Firmenkulturen reden und herausfinden, was wir als Start-up von diesen Firmen lernen können. Ciao, Dani. Hoi. Merci, dass wir hier dürfen sein dürfen. Freut hier. mich auch. Die im Apartment in San Francisco. Es freut mich sehr, dass wir das Interview machen dürfen. Wir haben am Anfang darüber geredet, in welcher Sprache wir es machen wollen. Wir sehen, wir machen es bei dir in Englisch. Sag uns schnell, wieso? Also, was, hat, was verbindet der Dani Graf und die englische Sprache? Sorry, was hast du gesagt? Ich verstehe es nicht ganz. Okay, sorry. Äh, nein. <lacht> äh, die englische Sprache ist losgegangen, natürlich schon in der Schweiz, im, im, im Studium. Und dann, ich bin 1998 bin ich ausgewandert in die USA und seit hier rede ich vor allem Englisch. Aber mein Bruder wohnt dort in San Francisco. Ich habe viele Freunde aus Deutschland und aus der Schweiz. Hier, also. Deutsch wird immer noch jeden Tag geredet. Cool, schön. Oh, but let's do, do it in English. Sure. Jump right into it. Um, so uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your apartment here and why we are here and also about maybe Soma and what connects you to this place. Yeah, so, uh, so we're here in, in our apartment. Uh, my wife and I, we live here. It's a small place in San Francisco. Uh, we're in Soma, which stands for South of Market. What that means is there's Market Street and we're in the south part. About two blocks from here uh, is the baseball stadium. I'm not sure either today or tomorrow the new season actually starts and then you hear all the noise whenever they do a home run. Okay. Don't ask me about the baseball rules, it's not my game. But uh, yeah, we're, we're in a nice area here. Why here? Uh, a lot of the tech companies are in this area actually. Uh, I can. Dropbox, you can see right outside of the window, the new headquarter. LinkedIn is right over there. Salesforce is over there. Uber is in that direction. Google is two blocks from here, the San Francisco office. So it's, it's almost all walking distance from here. That's one of the reasons. The, the other reasons why, uh, why we live here is uh, it's actually really fast to be on the freeway to get out of the city. Okay. I love to be in the city, but I also like to go out of the city. So you're in nature. And uh, yeah, it takes just a few minutes to be out of the city as well. When do you go out of the city and where do you go? I go out of the city. Uh, we go out of the city most weekends, actually. We, we have a place also in Sonoma. Sonoma is uh, wine country. People know about Napa. Napa and Sonoma are the two valleys where, where there's a, it's a wine region. Uh, we're, we're not making wine. We, we like to drink <laughs> a glass of wine occasionally. But no, we have a place up there. Um, We call it Marbach, California. I grew up in Marbach in Switzerland. So it's a, it's a little place out in nature. So we go there to relax. We have our garden there. Occasionally I, I drive my tractor there uh, just to switch off from Silicon Valley. And then mm -hmm. other times I go out of the city to go kite surfing. There's amazing spots on the water with a lot of wind where I can go kite surfing. Nice. So if we talk about uh, Marbach, then take us to Marbach, Switzerland. So tell us a little bit where you grew up and um, what it was to growing up in Switzerland and maybe also a little bit about your family and the early days of Donny Graf. Sure, sure. I, uh, I grew up in Marbach in the uh, St. Galler Rheintal, in the Rhine Valley. Uh, 
Uh, and whenever I tell someone here in the US about Marbach, I always say, imagine within 15 minutes, you can be in four different countries and they can't imagine because most of Americans have never left the country, right? And then, I mean, maybe they know about Canada, they know about Mexico, but we, for Marbach, it was like 10 minutes to Austria, uh, 15 minutes to Liechtenstein and 15 minutes to Germany. So that's quite unique. It's around Lake Constance. Uh, we grew up in the mountains there, grew up close to a farm, so I was a lot out in nature and uh, grew up there together with, with my brother. The, the village is tiny, it was around 2,000 people when I, when I lived there. And actually the, the painting behind you is from a close friend of mine. He's an artist, he's a painter, and uh, he, uh, uh, he lives in Marbach, so that's my connection to Marbach. So you we see, we see some cows up here, some yeah. Swiss cows, <laughs> a little more connection to Switzerland, yeah. So I grew up there. I, I went to, I did an apprenticeship, Berufslehre, uh, uh, at Leica uh, in the Rhine Valley as an uh, electronica, electric, electronic specialist. And uh, that was all in the Rhine Valley, yeah. That was kind of home. And what did your parents do for a living? My parents worked with uh, kids in the, in, the, in, the, in the social area uh, and both of them are teachers. Okay. Yeah, and my brother is a, he's an architect. And then you went to school in Marbach and you did this, uh, this apprenticeship and after yep. the apprenticeship, what did you do? I went to the, uh, I did a bachelor in, in books, Fachhochschule, NTB, yeah. NTB. Uh -huh. Uh, did that, uh, focus on uh, electrical engineering with software engineering. So I did that, did a bachelor there. And then afterwards, uh, I decided it would be nice to, to go a little deeper on software engineering. Mm -hmm. And then there was an opportunity to come to the US to do that. So back then, that was around 97, 98, ABB, they had a scholarship for uh, a master's degree in the US. So in 97, they somehow I got lucky and won that scholarship and uh, they so supported my uh, master's degree here in the US. Wow, was it a, a draw or how, how, how do you get lucky on a scholarship? Um, no, it wasn't a draw. They, you had interviews, you had to go to Baden and have interviews with ABB. They looked at your uh, grades at, uh, at school and Somehow, somehow, somehow I made it through, yeah. Okay, did you, was you always your plan to do something like that, to study in the US, or how did you come up with this idea? So most, most students in Switzerland, they do a master degree maybe in Switzerland, or they start to work after they got their bachelor degree, and not a lot of them actually have this plan or stick to the plan and are, yeah. how, how, how did you come up with this idea? Yeah, I think it's, two things uh, which, which, which I considered, or I'm not even sure if I consciously considered it, but what it was, I was always fascinated by, te by technology and probably has to do with, I grew up, my, my parents were both, I'm not sure if they agree with me if I say that, that they probably <laughs> were both hippies okay. a little bit uh, back, not anymore today, but uh, we didn't have much technology at home. Mm -hmm. We had no TV, we had no car. Uh, and uh, but when I was 13 or so, I got an Amiga 500, my first computer. Mm -hmm. Got really into it. Was fascinated by it, and then always was in love with technology. And mm -hmm. so after the or during the bachelor uh, degree, I, w I was just like, this is not it yet. I want to learn more. 
in the field of technology. I don't want to yeah. just start a, a day job. That's the first mm -hmm. thing. And the second thing is I was uh, always fascinated by other cultures, other places and uh, thought, hey, there's an opportunity. Let's combine the two, learn more about technology in a different country. Mm -hmm. Could be UK, can be the US, an English speaking country. And, uh, and I tried the, the US way. So without AVB, I probably wouldn't be here right now, so which is very interesting to think about, yeah. Right, so right. I'm yeah. grateful to them. <laughs> that's good. Where did you go to? I went to Rensselaer, that's RPI, that's upstate New York. It's, um, it's in the US, it's a known uh, engineering school. It's one of the top 15 engineering schools. And uh, I did a master's uh, degree there in software engineering. Mm -hmm. um, took about a year. And then somehow I got stuck there for three years because uh, that was the first startup I joined right up there, right out of, actually during the master's degree, uh, two friends started a company and I joined them as, as number three in their company. Oh, and what was this startup doing? Uh, so what they did is, uh, or what we did back then uh, was an MP3 jukebox. Today, most people probably don't understand uh, how MP3 came together. We all have our phones, which are our jukeboxes, right? <laughs> right. So back in uh, back in '98, uh, it was a little different. There was no iPhone in '98, uh, and we developed. It was actually, you'll hear this many times in my career, uh, where we where I was a little too early for its time. But we did the world's first MP3 jukebox. Basically, mm -hmm. it looked like a CD player. Uh, you could put in your CDs and then it records it on MP3. There was a hard disk in mm -hmm. there and then you just have it in your stereo system and all your mu music was stored in one box. And you can hook it up to a TV with a nice mm -hmm. user interface and playlists. And today everyone's like, of course, that's all in my phone. What are you talking about? Back in 98 was a little different, yeah. So we did that. Um, uh, I wasn't a founder, but I was, I was the first guy uh, yeah. there, the first hire, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> It, what was fascinating is actually we, we built this from idea to market in 11 months, mm -hmm. the hardware, the software and everything. And, and uh, this is a big lesson learned for life there. I, I'm not sure I could do this today again in such a short time. Sometimes it's, it's good what you don't know, you don't know. You go a little bit into a situation uh, with you're, you're a little naive about it, you know, and then that's actually how you break through some of mm -hmm. these challenges. Sometimes when you know too much, you're worried about it, like, oh, I'm not going to touch this. This mm -hmm. is too difficult. So if, if, if I look back, we were really so naive. So like the hardware, the motherboard for the whole product we got from China. We never went to China. We sourced it via the Internet some, and somehow it worked out. I don't know how the, the actual product was like sheet metal. You had, to, you had to go to a sheet metal shop and all that, and then you had to put all the components together. So we rented a big warehouse where we hired some, some people, uh, a lot of housewives actually joined us and we built a manufacturing line. We had no clue about manufacturing before and somehow it worked out. So from, from idea to market, 11 months and we ended up in New York Times on the, on the front page. It was like, oh, really? okay, wow. that was a nice accomplishment. Uh -huh. um, the sales weren't quite there yet, but <laughs> in terms of innovation, it was fantastic. We won a lot of prices for, for innovation in, in that market. Yeah. And then the iPod actually came, it was before the iPod even, the iPod came a couple of years later. Yeah. Okay, so Steve Jobs was inspired by you. They saw, I don't he, think so. He saw, he saw you guys on Time Magazine and said, I do the same. Uh, I'm not sure. I thought it was Tony Fidel, but uh, oh, no. Okay. I'm not. True. You are uh, right. 
uh, yeah, that was a very interesting era actually uh, when the whole MP3 uh, boom started, and we were right in the middle of it. So I, it was a felt like time of pioneering, which which was fantastic. Yeah. And what did the company? How 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 did the company develop itself? Like so, what happened was uh, Philips the. The European, the Dutch company, uh, back then they were huge in consumer electronics uh, and many other areas as well. You know it from lighting, uh, you know it from medical devices and all that. But consumer electronics, the division was, Philips was always a pioneer actually in the old days. They invented uh, the tape, the CD, and then they thought, oh, digital music like MP3s is the next thing. Mm -hmm. They saw we were pioneering this in many ways. And so they, they acquired not the company, they acquired the engineering team. I was leading the engineering team. So together, six of us with, with another Swiss and, and four Americans, uh, we ended up as a team acquisition, if you want to call it like this, in Vienna, Austria. So four of them didn't speak German, <laughs> not a single word. And if, if you have been to Vienna, uh, they had um, a hard time. They, they don't speak English. <laughs> uh, it's not their first language. And uh, it was very interesting. And, all the Americans learned German. It was actually very fascinating. So Philips had an innovation center there for audio and TV. So we, we created the, the next innovation in there. By the way, the, the startup, it's called Request, uh, the MP3 jukebox startup. Mm -hmm. They're still in business now in the, in the home installer market for people who spend a lot of money to connect their home with different zones of music in the very high-end market. And then at Philips, we, we stayed in the field and went to from MP3 jukebox to internet streaming music. That was kind of the next uh, step in 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 that field. And Streamium, Streamium was the brand name where we created the, the world's first wireless internet streaming jukebox and then a wireless internet TV afterwards as well. So um, I would like to talk with you about your startup Kite Kite TV. Yeah. Um, maybe you can fill us a little bit in, like, when did you start it and what was Kite actually supposed to do and how did the company develop itself? Yeah, so, so Kite was the next step after Philips when we did uh, the internet uh, video and audio products with Philips. Uh, Eric and I, Eric was my co-founder, he was with me also at Request uh, as an engineer and then at Philips and then we started together Kite. Kite, we were the first guys live streaming from mobile phones video and now people are like, oh, everyone can do that today, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, But back in 2007, there was no iPhone. This was before uh, Apple got into the market and actually the first iPhone didn't even do video as far as I remember and uh, had no apps you could install. So the first phone we supported was the Nokia N95. Um, this feels like I'm talking about uh, <laughs> 20 years a, a, museum, a museum tour right now. But so you basically could yeah. live stream video from your phone to Facebook, back then to MySpace, to your website, uh, and you can interact with your audience as well. So it was like a, a video platform, not just live. You could also do it on demand, but live was the unique thing. Uh, we started as a consumer play. So it was like just the next generation YouTube or so I was positioned. And then a lot of celebrities started using it. Mm -hmm. Musicians uh, from Lenny Kravitz and, 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 and uh, many other bands, John Legend. Uh, they were filming their lives as musicians behind 
behind the scenes, backstage, live streaming, and you could also mm -hmm. chat with the audience. So it was like, uh, that was all in 2007, 2008. And then companies started to like this technology and we started licensing. So from a consumer company, we turned into more of an enterprise company. Okay. Why we, did you do that? Like, uh, because what was the reason you, you, you need a business model at some point and uh, uh, these companies first the big music labels and then afterwards we had deals with ESPN, with Donato in, 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 in Europe, with Swatch, we powered Swatch TV, with brands, with many, many companies, MTV, uh, we powered a lot of their video initiatives, apps. We did the first Lady Gaga iPhone app, which if you ask Universal Music, they say that her online presence was very, very important for her to get big in the first place. And yeah, we were powering her. her so you were making Lady Gaga big. I don't think so, but uh, <laughs> hopefully we helped a, a tiny little bit. Uh, she also helped us, obviously. That, obviously. that gave us a lot of uh, traffic as well. Mm -hmm. So we did this and uh, we licensed our platform. We were a SaaS platform, so software as a service. You get your monthly fees. And then in uh, end of 2010, January 2011, uh, we sold the company to another to a public company actually kit digital uh, they 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 acquire companies in this space and uh, uh, clearly uh, it was uh, we spent about was 2011 about five six years on this company we we're about mm -hmm. 50 people at that stage and then everyone went to kit digital I didn't go there I ended up at Google and the reason we sold Kite was it was a little too early as well for the market to, to do all this live streaming at scale. Uh, we made we had millions and millions of dollars of revenues, but uh, I wanted tens of millions of dollars of revenues and we just didn't have that at that stage yet. So um, that, that was Kite basically for five years. Yeah, And then Marissa Meyer at Google, well, now she's at Yahoo, but back <laughs> then she was at Google. She recruited me into Google. And um, now talking about Kite, like the product market fit, how did you find the product market fit and how much did you have to invest and iterate and how did you keep iterating and knowing, like I think it's a, it's a, it's, it can be a very frustrating process if you, if you see that it doesn't work as you like it to work and then you have to keep on going. How did you do that? Like how did you? Well, I think when you, and that's actually an important lesson, when you're, when you're too much into it, um, you don't see the big picture anymore sometimes, you know, you keep trying and trying and trying. And we, we had, while we had millions and millions of viewers, uh, we didn't see a way to get this to a, like a billion dollar company or so. So for us, it was the right time to get out of it. And when we, when we, when, when we developed the product, you start a consumer, then you go more enterprise. Uh, the requirements change day by day, right, from in, in, in that enterprise environment. And we saw that the video market just didn't grow as fast as we all, everyone said, oh, video is the next big thing, you know, and they didn't grow. And clearly for YouTube, that was the case, but not for all this other, this was called OVP, online video platform. Mm -hmm. For these OVP players, it didn't grow as fast uh, as we hoped. And actually, we were confirmed right. If you look back now, those five years, there's not many large companies in that space at all. It became a commodity, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was for you the reason to say, let's sell it off? And well, we, in, in terms of selling, uh, there were several parties who were interested, you know, and then at some point we had to make a decision. 
do we stay in the business, try ourselves, or is it the right time to go with a bigger player? And uh, I thought at this time, after five years in, I didn't see ourselves going uh, in uh, exponential speed to the next level. So we said it's the right time to 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 go with a new a new owner, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was for you like the essential, like the success factor to bring it from? Uh, starting point from just the idea with your co-founder to that point where you actually sell off a company like what well, if, if you would like to reproduce what you did with kite like developing a company that way what do you what do you believe what were what what's really what, what drives the success i think it's 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 two things and i still say this today when i whenever i uh, hire someone i ask the questions what's your motivation uh, what's your criteria, basically, for making a decision? It's people and impact. It's always those two, right? In a startup, uh, when you go from one person to two to three to four, everyone plays such an important role. A mishire can take the company in a whole, in, in the totally wrong direction, right? So I, I believe that the, the, the people uh, you, you hire and who choose to, to be part of your mission. And in the beginning, it's an adventure, you know. You don't know which direction you're gonna go. Most companies today, they weren't started as what they turn out to be in the end, you know. And we even experienced this on a small scale as well, right? We started as a consumer play, we ended up in an enterprise world. So people is first thing. And then the second thing is just impact. Always look for the path where you can make the most impact. And uh, that sounds, easy is really, really difficult. And because you're trying, usually as a startup, you're trying to do too many things because everything seems so, uh, such a great opportunity. And if you take on too much, uh, you do everything half-baked basically and nothing really fully baked. Mm -hmm. And that's bad. We didn't, we made that mistake as well, but we could always correct on that side. But I think that's, that's not just for startup, but for startups in particular. It's so important. I always say less is more, you know, focus on less, but uh, make more impact on, on fewer things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You then moved on to other companies, bigger companies. You mentioned Google, joining Google, maybe like comparing like a, 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 such a big company as Google to what you had with Kite, maybe in terms of organization and, 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 and working with people. Could you? elaborate a little bit like that? You had like the two very extremes in your life and close by even. How, how is it to, to, to be with a little one and with a big one? And, and what did you like best or what, what kind of person are you? Yeah, well, there's many questions there. Uh, but comparing Google to, to a startup, uh, I would say, I mean, Google, to work for Google, I felt very lucky to have the chance. I mean, so many times Google has been rated as one of the best places to work. So what does it mean, one of the best places to work for? Every individual, this means something different. You know, for me, again, it comes down to people and impact. And if clearly the people who work at Google, uh, there, there's a lot of, when, when, when you're in meetings at Google, there's hardly ever a meeting where you're like, oh man, those people have no clue. So there's always, there's very bright people there. It's very inspiring. You can learn a lot at Google. I think that's the first thing and then the impact is out of question, right? Google made such an impact in this world. Uh, and I would actually say a very positive world. You know, we have access to information. Everyone has access to information now with an internet, whoever has in- internet access. So I think that's, that's fantastic. The culture at Google, 
is is a very unique culture. It it's it's uh, I I found it as a very open culture. There's so many products at Google, right? You have YouTube, you have Gmail, you have Maps, you have Search, you have Android. You could think these are all like separate companies. They don't talk to each other, and yes, they are being like separate businesses. But you have access to everyone, and people are open to share. So this openness uh, is something I really valued uh, at Google. Yeah. Could you maybe give an example about the openness, like in your uh, daily well, life? Yeah, one, <laughs> an interesting one was on my first or second day. Uh, 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 someone I met there said, "Oh yeah, let's meet. We should discuss this or that." And then um, I'm like, "Sure, let's schedule something." And then he said. Well, I, your calendar is closed. It's blocked. I can't see when you're available. But I'm like, oh, I can tell you. He's like, well, we all share our calendars. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, we're all open. And then for me, for, at first, I was like, wow, my calendar, that's something very personal, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's your time. Uh, it has all the details in it. And, and, and to be honest, now a few years later, I couldn't imagine a different world. And my calendar is wide open. Everyone... Everyone can see what's on my calendar. People mm -hmm. can see that I'm doing this interview right now. <laughs> and I, I think it's actually very important, uh, this transparency. You know, it's not about how many hours you work or not. You know, oh, he's yeah. taking a half a day off. Who cares? You know, at the end, it's about the results, about the impact. When you have access to others' calendars, it's much easier to see, oh, they're available Monday morning. Oh, they're actually in the same building as I am. Okay, let's get together Monday morning or so. So it just mm -hmm. makes things much more efficient. That's one example of transparency there. Mm -hmm. Is that how you manage your team, like your, your people? Yeah, I, one thing I always say uh, uh, is no surprises. Uh, I like surprises sometimes <laughs> at home or so, but not at work. I don't want surprises at, at work. So what that means is I, I really encourage people to work independently, to drive their own agenda, do their own thing, but I don't want surprises. And what that means is you share early and upfront. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you come and ask for permission. You know, everyone yeah. on, in, in, in our teams is mature enough to know what's right and what's wrong. But mm -hmm. uh, I want to try to avoid surprises, yeah. And how do you keep your people focused? Like if, if, they, if, they, if it's that open, maybe it gets scattered. Do you have yeah. any techniques how you keep the people on the bus? Yeah, we, I mean, that's pretty known from, uh, from Google and uh, I've been using it everywhere since then. It's just an OKR process. It's a planning process, basically. An annual and quarterly planning process it's uh, OKR stands for objectives and key results mm -hmm. and the teams develop this bottom up and mm -hmm. then top down in your leads team you discuss that it uh, that it fits into the, the bigger mission and strategy mm -hmm. and this is super transparent all OKRs are publicly within the company publicly accessible everyone sees what you're doing and then mm -hmm. you're accountable uh, you can see then who moved the needle for this metric from A to B so this is a you can make it uh, pretty hands-off, this process. It's, uh, you do it every quarter, basically. You look, f you look back, you grade your previous quarter, and uh, we actually just, we just did this for last quarter. Mm -hmm. And then you see how you did, and, and then now you're planning the next quarter. So now you are at Uber, and you still do the same way you're managing your teams. Is it something which is typical American? Is it something which is American culture? or? Do you believe that would work in every Swiss company too? I don't think you... No, I, I, I wouldn't generalize that it's typical American or typical Swiss. 
this works well for the industry I know, which is tech, I think. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where, I would mm-hmm. say, in terms of location. Mm-hmm. Uh, this process I've seen working well, yeah. And in, at Uber and many other companies, there's no mandate. You have to work it exactly like this or that. But within our group now, mm-hmm. that's what we're using. And the team is embracing it and uh, it seems to work very well, yeah. it's. You know, when you say the word process, a lot of times people are like, process, are you kidding me? Are you one of those management guys? You're wasting my time. Process is stands for communication, enabling communication. And I think when you look in your life, uh, I, I would bet 90% of any challenges you face in life, in private or professional, are related to communication, miscommunication or lack of communication. So the right process enables communication. If you and I had a company, mm-hmm. you know what the process would be? We would sit in the same room. That's all we ever need for process because we can talk to each other. Right. But when you have a team that sits across several rooms, several floors, several buildings, several cities, you need the right process to communicate amongst each other so that you don't communicate too much, but also not too little. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the balance you want to find. Right. And uh, so that when you hear the negative word, usually people always think very negative when they hear the word process. Whoa, you're one of those guys, big <laughs> corporation, right? <laughs> not at all, actually. You know what, the, one of the first things I did in, in the, at Uber, when I joined, we looked at all the meetings people had. I'm like, well, there's way too many meetings. Process also means effective communication, so it means fewer meetings as well. And, uh, and, uh, and in terms of no surprises, in terms of meeting culture, uh, what I like is uh, within our team, no ad hoc meeting. Ad hoc meeting means, hey, let's talk about this tomorrow or so. No, we have scheduled fixed meetings, maybe staff meetings, bullpen. I'm a huge fan of bullpen. Bullpen means unstructured meetings. Uh, what this meeting time, what that means is, for example, in, in my case or in our case is our leads from our group come together once a week mm-hmm. uh, for 90 minutes. We're in the same room. You can work on whatever you want, but then you can always grab, oh, hey, Judy, we should talk about this. Hey, Brent, we should talk about that. And you can avoid so many emails and you can avoid so many ad hoc meetings. You're just 90 minutes of effective working time together, unstructured, and you can resolve actually most of your, most of your open items. That's one thing. And, uh, and then we have, what I also like is we have a, a review, a weekly review train. We do, f- in our case right now for, for this team, we have three times one hour where we review certain topics. It's always at the same time and people can sign up for which topics they want to review within a mm-hmm. larger group. Mm-hmm. And then uh, together we select them. Okay, tomorrow we do this, next week that one. But it's, it's given there's a certain cadence there, which I mm-hmm. think is very important. Uh, we have been talking about company culture and uh, you told me a lot about how a company should be. Is there um, a company culture environment you, you, you don't like that you say, I just, I just can't deal with it, I have to leave or it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill my needs? Like what has to happen that, that you, you are not at the level of productiveness? Are you hinting at something? I'm hinting a little <laughs> bit. I'm hinting yeah, a little so bit. I, uh, Absolutely. I mean, company culture, again, when I make a decision to go to a place, uh, and I think it's important, it's people and impact, right? Uh, and on the people side, it has a lot to do with culture. 
And if a culture gets too political, if it gets poisoned, if it's, if it's, I mentioned also earlier on that I prefer no surprises. Political means there's a lot of surprises. People talk behind each other's back and uh, ideas don't win because they're the best ideas. Uh, that's just really bad. Um, I got a flavor of, of, of that when I was, I was only there for half a year at Twitter and uh, I just wasn't happy. The culture is very different from Google. And uh, and that after half a year, it just I wasn't happy there, and it was time for me to move on. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any advice for a startup like that? It could have a culture where it's not so political. Is it something that someone? Do you, what do you think? Is is it possible as a founder to to drive that in a certain direction? And if yes, how would you do that in your company? Absolutely. I mean, the founders. Let's say there's two founders. They set the tone for the culture day one they start, just the two of them, and it continues with that. Day one, later on, maybe five years later, when you're a thousand people, it still has the DNA from day one. And you should just be aware of that impact you'll have in the future when you start a company. Is there anything you would recommend to someone who is starting a company? like what you learned and some hack you did or some advice you could give a young founder in his early 20s maybe starting his own company? Trust your instincts. Uh, don't worry too much about what others say uh, when you get started and, you know, and, and also find the right balance, you know, what I mentioned. I think it's important and I wouldn't do it alone. You always need a sounding board. You need a co-founder or two or three uh, you need some people you can bounce off who are exactly on the same level as you are. And same level, what I mean, is not education or so. They have the same level of uh, investment into this. You do this together, we're in this together, because there will be rough times. Uh, founding a company and going through it, no matter what, no matter how successful you are in the long run, you will go through really tough times. Everyone is going through it. And you want some partners who are as bought in as you are. I think that's, that's mission critical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe taking it back to the question, is Donny the big corporate guy now? Or is he still the founder, the Kite TV person? What, could you elaborate a little bit on that? Or <laughs> what do you believe is like, what fits you best? I don't know if any of these labels work. Uh, I'm, I don't think I ever was a big corporate guy. Uh, uh, it's more in, at companies like at Uber or at Google, uh, you find actually many, many entrepreneurs. Uh, when we did for the first time Google Maps on the iPhone, we were like a startup. We started five of us. Mm -hmm. We had only half a year time to do the whole product from idea to launch. And that, like, that was like total startup mode. The advantage, of course, was you had Google behind you, uh, which I didn't have to worry about salaries, about many other little corporate things, right? But in terms of creating the product, it was just like a startup. So I never felt any different if I was at my own startup or Google in terms of corporate or not. Different is when you run your startup, of course, is you're responsible for the payroll of your employees, for all the things around it. You're not just the core product. But yeah, I, I, I don't think any of these labels would, would apply directly yet. But as you said, you're a very entrepreneurial person. So it means that you need this entrepreneur groove. 
That's important. Th I think that that's absolutely Otherwise, true. Wouldn't I probably wouldn't do well at, at, at a very, if you call it large. Yeah, we could take ABB, or so. ABB, the ones that paid for your your uh, your education. Like, how would Donny Graf be at ABB? But but you know what? Uh, building some uh, power <laughs> power plant somewhere out in the desert, maybe for a year or two, would be interesting. <laughs> it's a whole new experience. But maybe you can save up for a trainee program. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But being in 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 AB, I don't know how ABB is run today, but. Uh, being at their corporate headquarters in a, in a traditional function. I mean, given my background, I probably wouldn't add much value there and mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't enjoy too much there. Yeah. yeah, it's fair to say. You seem to be a very confident person. Maybe you can help us to understand how, how do you develop that confidence? Like for someone who is maybe not that confident, who, who, who has a fear of failure. Oh, believe me, I have, I have my fear of failures. Maybe I just come across confident. Maybe I had a long working day today and I'm just <laughs> relaxed on the couch here. Right. But no, uh, I think a healthy level of, I'm not sure if that works, a healthy level of fear is, is good and is important. Never get too comfortable. That's just, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what, what's a I, good, I, uh, maybe, maybe you can elaborate on that. What's a good fear and what's a not so good fear that prevents you of doing things? Like it seems that you did what you wanted to do. Yeah. And probably there are people out there who, who, who just don't get yeah. it going. Yeah. I think the bad fears are where you always think it's never good enough. You want the perfect thing, but that's actually not true for a product, technology product. You want it good enough. You ship it, you learn, you iterate, and you ship again and update. So, that, so, so a bad fear is, is definitely, oh, it's not good enough. I have to wait. Another bad fear is always very... Oh, uh, someone else is working on this too. I'm so worried. You know, th those are those are bad fears. You know, good fears. Uh, I would say is uh, uh, it's it's the opposite. Like, hey, can't go fast enough. Why haven't we shipped yet? You know, kind of this hustling, this the sense of urgency. I think that's mm -hmm. that's that's more on the on, on the good side. Yeah. Do you think there are things that Swiss entrepreneurs can learn from from here? You know, there's always this cliche, right, where they say, oh, Silicon Valley and then Switzerland and all that. So I'm, I'm not sure how much I believe in this. Silicon Valley is definitely a unique place. It's a unique place because a lot of these, of, of especially the digital technology, a lot of it has been invented here. And there's such a high concentration of talent. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's one thing, you know, which you can never forget if you have hundreds of thousands of people in the same field working on such a close space, it's all within an hour driving, right? Uh, that just creates a lot of innovation, A, that, that's the first thing. And you can't just copy that anywhere else, you know, that's, that's probably hard to copy. The second thing is, it's more, uh, that's probably a little bit more an American characteristics, oh, correct, characteristic. And what that is, is it's this, it's tied to entrepreneurship, it's taking on new adventures, you know, I mean, who, and, and it goes back to the history of America, right? Who, who the, the history of, of, of Europeans coming here. Who came here first uh, uh, to, to the US from Europe? Of course, the, the, the Native Americans were here already, but from, from Europe here were a little bit the crazy ones, the guys who wanted the adventure, you know? Mm -hmm. they, they didn't know the word impossible, you know? They are like, let's try, let's go west. We have no idea, no idea what's coming. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a little bit. Uh, you see that here as well, where someone has an idea. I'm like, 
let's try it. I mean, what can happen? The worst that can happen is this idea doesn't work out. Some people call this a failure, but you know what? I stand up again and I'll tackle the next problem, you know, and that I don't think in Europe that's that that's really established that thinking that that is okay, you know, and the, I know we always say, oh, US, in the US it's okay to fail, not in Europe. I think there's actually something to that that's very important. Do you think we can do anything about it in Switzerland, that we, that we overcome this fear from failure? Uh, I think it's already happening. There's a lot of good startups uh, happening in, in, in Europe. I'm especially uh, impressed by Berlin. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if this was, maybe there's some similarities. You know, who went to Berlin after the wall came down was maybe the people who wanted the adventure, the change and all that. And out of that, you can always say it's the same as with the US. There wasn't much structure there. If you have too much structure, mm -hmm. it limits you. You know, in Berlin, you can say uh, in the 90s, doesn't, didn't have too much structure. You know, and then out of that, a lot of innovation came. And today, it's an amazing innovation hub. There's crazy good startups in, in Berlin. I'm, I, I have several startups I invested in Berlin, at least three, yeah. Yeah. Is there something you could do for Switzerland and the ecosystem? Me? I'm, I'm just a little guy here in San Francisco. I'm very close to Switzerland, to Swiss startups as well, mm -hmm. uh, and European startups in general. As I mentioned, I've, I'm, I'm helping several European startups uh, as an investor, as an advisor. So, yeah, and then there's a lot of entrepreneurs visiting here, and I'm always happy to meet for coffee and, and, and share my experience. But again, there's no recipe. I can't hand over a book and I'm like, mm -hmm. here's how it's done and you will succeed. You know, yeah. everyone has to find his or her own path to, right. to wherever they want to go. And especially today, actually, this is very different today than the 90s or even during the years 2000 to 2010. Today, if you're in the, in the information technology industry, to get a startup going, uh, you're hosting on Amazon and use web services. You can do a one-man show, can do something incredible, right? Uh, maybe an, an iPhone app with some crazy good backend or so. There's one or two people can get it off the ground. That's phenomenal. The tools we have available today are, are pretty impressive. That wasn't there 10 years ago. So I think it's, it has been easier and less capital intense uh, than ever before to start a technology in the information technology startup. Before you needed a, uh, a colo for your computer servers, a data center and all that. Today, you go on Amazon, you're on the Elastic Cloud and you can, I need one server or I need a thousand server. You can change it every day, however you want. It's dynamic, you know, it's like, it's fantastic actually. Yeah. It's the right time. It's the right time to start, yeah, it always is. So Danny, it feels a little bit like a fireside chat, what we have here um, in the background. There are some guys on the fire too. Yep. <laughs> What's exactly. that kind of device? Uh, that's from, uh, I think I got it from, through Kickstarter, which is a crowdfunded. Uh, it's art meets technology. It's uh, called Electric Object. Today you can get it on Amazon. And uh, there's a whole art community. They create digital art. So and you then you can actually you can or? actually change it. Yeah, there's an app here, and you could pick something else. 
you can display, you can do your own thing as well, but there's a whole art community. Oh, okay. And now we have a different guy there. <laughs> so um, our art is changing almost on a daily basis. Yeah, cool. it's pretty amazing. And imagine you had, they don't do this yet, you had like a million displays connected in living rooms and somehow one person will control them and you can create communities and stuff. So I think there's, there's a lot of potential, yeah, I like it. Pretty cool. Is there certain things you do as a person or maybe um, habits that you, you developed during the last couple, 10 years maybe that help you a lot to, 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 be, to be productive? Yeah, I mean, I, I have my way, there's no wisdom, you know, but I have my own ways of working, right? Uh, one, what, one which I'm still working on sometimes is challenging, you know, uh, don't take yourself too serious, you know, you're just a little piece in the puzzle. So sometimes uh, that, that's important to know. Uh, time management is very important. I'm always on uh, or mostly on. What that means is when I get an email or so, even at 10 at night, I answer or I read it. Uh, what I've been doing lately, I start to be just like one day a week, like Saturday, usually just try to be as offline as possible. It's mm -hmm. not possible 100%, but as offline as possible. I think that's super important. And then uh, we're all bombarded with so much information every day. So how do you digest that? What do you, how do you deal with that? The worst is if, it is if it's all stuck in your head and you always think, oh, I have to remember this, 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 this. So I need a place where I can put the things that I need to take care of later. I need to put them in a place I use Evernote. Everyone has his or her own tools. Evernote is my second brain. In every meeting, interview, I do, when I interview a candidate or so, I take notes on Evernote. And the beauty is I do it unstructured. Uh, and you don't have to sort it later. You mm -hmm. just have to search for it. They have a brilliant search and it really functions like a second brain. So mm -hmm. that takes a lot of stress away because you always think, oh, I have to remember that. I have to remember that. And when you use your energy on that, you can't focus on the core anymore. Mm -hmm. Is there something you do like every day or do you have a kind of morning routine? I, uh, yeah, I do. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm an early riser. I like to get up uh, around six and uh, I check first uh, just the email. I look at the subject headlines over the night uh, if something really important came in. Uh, and if something came in very important, I'll just take care of it. And then I do my routine. I, I wanna, I'm, a, I'm a news junkie. I love to know what's going on in the world, not just technology, politics, culture, especially in Europe as well. I read my uh, German and Swiss news every, every morning. It's already afternoon when I read it here, so a lot has happened in the day, so that's nice. But I want to get it out of the way, then, so then during the day I don't worry about it anymore. Oh, I don't know yet what's going on or so. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I bike to work. I take a bicycle. Uh, it's only 10, 15 minutes. I love the fresh air just to switch off for a few minutes in the morning. And then you come to work and you're fresh and can start the day. Do you think something when you're riding your bike or what's going on in your head? Uh, sometimes I actually listen to an audiobook if I'm into that. Uh, I do that. But then a lot of times, just like, uh, what's ahead of me during the day. Uh, the other thing in the morning, what I always check, usually also the night before, is just how does my calendar look like? And then I just think through 
uh, the different meetings and people I meet and if there's anything I need to prepare for. Do you do any physical things like sports or I don't know, 50 sit-ups every morning or something like that? Are you, are you saying the <laughs> riding a bike to work is not enough? No, I, I, during, during the week, uh, not so much weekends, uh, mountain biking, kite surfing. I, I work a lot on our property and then this last weekend I was gardening. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of sports. I love the variety. I used to run marathons, but really? when, when, you, when you run marathons, uh, you just focus on one sport. It became too much of the same for me. So mm -hmm. I like the diversity. So it's really okay. mountain biking, running, kite surfing. Those, were, those are probably the three sports I care about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When did you start or how did you come into kite surfing? Well, you, you need two things for kite surfing, right? You need, you need water, a lot of water, and you need wind. And uh, we didn't have that combination in Switzerland. And uh, I think in Silvaplana, uh, you can actually kite surf, uh, but it's a tiny one. This is one of the best sailing areas in the world, the San Francisco Bay areas. And then I, I always saw these guys on the water with these kites up there, and it looked so impressive. And then during kite, actually, it's funny, kite, kite, right? But kite yeah. was written <laughs> with a Y, and this is with an I. Uh, during kite, I, I started taking some kite surfing lessons, and I got hooked, literally hooked, and uh, <laughs> got addicted, uh, and, and did it very, very intensely for many, many years. And yeah, it's a fantastic. You're on the water, and just uh, the elements take you. There's wind, there's water, there's sun, and you're just on your own, and you just glide over the water. And then sometimes you go into waves, and it's 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 amazing. Here by the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, sometimes we go there. There's strong currents. It's a little hairy there. It's 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 not the most enjoyable ride, but sometimes you get an amazing feeling. You're under the Golden Gate Bridge. And at least every second time I go there, there's dolphins next to you as well. You know, you're in the water, there's dolphins there, and you look up, you see this bridge there, and then life doesn't get much better than that. So it's, it's, it's a very good balance. Is there something which we didn't talk about, like some that got stuck in your head and you really want to get to the audience? Is there any additional comment or any additional idea or something that is still around? Well. No, I think we've talked about a lot of things. Uh, what, what's so surprising is, right, you always think so many startups have happened already. There's no more room for new ones. And I think there is more room than ever to start. You have a good idea to execute it at relatively low cost, actually, and try if it works or doesn't work. It's the best time ever to start a company. And if if people come out and visit San Francisco, it's always a nice place to visit. Mm -hmm. I'm usually down to have a coffee or so and, and listen and learn. Um, I never stop learning and learn from, from founders what they're working on. Great. If someone would like to have coffee with you, how, how could they reach you? Uh, just via email. I mean, daniel.graf at gmail.com. It's pretty simple. Just send me an email. and. Hopefully it doesn't end up in the spam folder. But yeah. no, I'm, and as I'm, we learned, as we learned, you're checking your emails even at 10 o'clock in the night. I do. I do check my emails a lot and it's right here. Yeah. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> it was great talking to you. Thank you so much that you took your time. I know it's a busy time for you right now. And so even more. Thank you very much. Well, thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.